You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Got a great program for you today. We were talking a little bit about third parties and fourth parties uh, last week and uh, their impact in polling and on the ballots. If you uh, hadn't had a chance to listen to last week's show, the podcast is up at AmericasWebRadio.com. We talked to uh, Mark Roundtree from Landmark Communications about some troubling poll numbers for uh, the Republicans in uh, in Georgia and some other traditionally uh, Republican states in this presidential election. And today we're privileged to have the, uh, the the Libertarian Senate candidate for the state of Georgia, Alan Buckley, here. He's going to be joining us at about uh, 2.15. He's here with us. He'll be in the studio. But I um, wanted to make sure we were able to, to cover some of the other uh, fun things going on. It's been a... Uh, Interesting week for Donald Trump. I would call it an improvement over the previous week, just because he hasn't insulted babies and veterans. Although, if you read the the backdrop of the, both of those stories, he neither insulted babies nor veterans. But um, that's what the press reported, and that's what the average American hears. Um, even Newt Gingrich is getting a little bit tired saying that Donald Trump needs to use 10 words instead of using three to define his positions. Uh, Trump has found some problem by saying that Obama and Hillary were the founders of ISIS. Um, now, I don't think it's that horrible of a comment. He should have said Obama and Hillary Clinton's policies led to ISIS gaining strength in that part of the world when basically the war in Iraq had been won. Thanks to George W. Bush's surge. And then Obama just said, well, I said we were going to leave. So we left. They left a power vacuum. And guess what happens in these third world areas when a power vacuum exists? The warlords, the warmongers, the theocrats move in and establish a new reign of terror. So it was predictable. And it would be nice if Mr. Trump could actually uh, explicate some of his positions from time to time. I've been watching the Olympics, which is a pretty cool sport. And last night, uh, you know, we uh, were watching the, the women's 400 meter dash. It was a rare case where UGA actually beat the USA. And I didn't realize this would become such a controversy. But uh, the uh, well, the winner of the 400 meter uh, is from the Bahamas. She's uh, from the University of, of Georgia. She actually dove across the finish line to finish .007 seconds ahead of um, of the second place finisher, who was a lady named Allison Felix. Um, the uh, and, and apparently it's caused a lot of controversy. I uh, I don't know why. I mean, the, for me, I mean, I, I'm certainly pulling for the USA in in most cases, but uh, sometimes I do think university does uh, exceed country especially in the case of the University of Georgia, the finest school in all the land. But uh, I, th- I was going for Alice and Felix. But uh, the lady who won, uh, Shawnee Miller, um, representing the Bahamas, she dove at the finish line and finished just barely in front 
of the the prohibited favorite in this, Allison Felix, who was just devastated by it. She laid on the track for 20 minutes afterwards, and I I get it. I mean, you you wait four years for these events to come around, and uh, you know you, you come up a little bit short. And I'm sure there's a lot of second guessing going on. What could I have done? At least she didn't do a false start. Y'all have seen a few of these false starts going on in the Olympics. That's a harsh mistress, isn't it? One and done. I mean, you do a false start and you are out of there. There was a uh, a French uh, hurdler last night that was disqualified. And he just he he didn't look very happy. But uh, I um not real sure what this controversy is. You know, you go all in, you dive across the finish line. Basically, the way these races are to me, if you crawl or swim or, or run or jump or leap, if you finish first, you get the medal. So it's kind of like. Some of the people complaining about this want to redo the rules on the track and field races. I got to tell you, track and field has lost a lot of uh, appeal for the common viewer. I mean, I this was the Allison Felix is one of the most decorated medalists in history, and I'd also argue that she's one of the least well known. Um, you know, remember the days of Jackie Joyner, Kersey, and Carl Lewis, and these household names that we had? You know, now uh, you have Usain Bolt, who's obviously the fastest man in the history of the world, but he's a Jamaican. So it seems like the U.S. has lost a little prestige, and I, I fear that if they continue this 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 path of complaining about uh, the rules, that it's just going to uh, negate their credibility even further, you know? And I, I was thinking this a sign that you've been watching too much Olympics is if your analysis of the presidential race shows that Donald Trump is guaranteed at least a silver medal based on the current numbers. David, you've been following the, the past week with, with Donald. Uh, what have you uh, what have you been thinking? Are you uh, are you more likely to vote for Mr. Trump? Has he improved his lot or are you kind of uh, uh, still dipping your toe in the water? Well, I, I'd say no. I'm not dipping my toe in the water. I, I, I would vote for you before I'd vote for Hillary. Well, thank you. Nothing, I, I am available as a write-in candidate. As a write-in candidate, <laughs> uh, and I'll give you a blank check. So spend what you will. Um, I, you know, it's. I'm like a lot of other people. I we I have questions. Uh, I have questions that. Uh, you know you. You can't help but say he's got to be a smart guy, but, you know, maybe he's too smart for his own britches, you know? I don't know. Uh, he seems to uh, constantly, even at his best, he shoots himself in the foot. And I just wonder if he's just not taking advice or if he's getting advice and doesn't care or... Is he just not getting advice? I, I don't know. I I mean, I, I'm, I think he's probably getting so much advice that uh, you know you're probably he's probably getting advice from people who's like, who the hell is this telling me? But I would just point to the polls and say, look, you are losing ground against one of the most unlikable, detestable candidates in the history of politics. How does that happen? You know, it, <laughs> it would sort of be like me running the station and saying, well. You know, Greg's a nice guy, but I don't like the way he combs his hair. He, I don't like the way he addresses a microphone. I, I mean, everything, Trump does everything negatively. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, I think he says some things that uh, you and I both want to say. You and I have thought. Uh, a lot of the public has thought. But just like you said earlier, uh, he needs to 
step back and rephrase it and not let his mouth overload his mind. Right. And, and I tend to think that, that people, when they're voting for president or some kind of – they people want to be inspired, not mm-hmm. not scared. And uh, I've, I've actually talked to a lot of people after the, uh, the two conventions, and um, I've asked them what their honest opinion was of the Republican convention. These are people that, that maybe they're, – they're certainly not Republicans, but they're not hardcore Democrats. And they said that their, their impression was that the Republican convention was way too negative. We were scared of things and uh you know being there you know drinking the kool-aid being part of this uh this amazing uh experience in in representative democracy i wanted to make sure i wasn't being you know misled by my own uh you know instincts or um you know your, your your own bias, right? And so I wanted to get opinions of people that were a little bit outside of it. I certainly wasn't running around. I, I still need some a lot of convincing for Donald Trump. I don't need any convincing that Hillary Clinton will be a or or would be a horrible president. So I don't need any convincing to not vote for her. I just need some more convincing that Donald Trump is going to be able to really represent uh, what I consider free market, conservative, limited government principles in the Oval Office. Now and. and what what is positive? What is positive? I would say that uh, positive means we're going instead of saying we're going to well, make it. Saying, what today? You, you just said that the people were saying the Republican convention was too negative. Mm-hmm. So what's positive? What's positive today? I would say that uh, despite Obama's best intentions, capitalism is still alive. We still need to look at lowering the corporate income tax rate. Um, home right. home values are in, home He's values home values have increased. The housing market has has recovered somewhat. So I I think that there's some positives that we can take. We can also talk about America's place in the world. And that we need to improve it. That's not being negative. That's I think that's being optimistic, though, that we can improve it if we put the right policies. And if we reverse some of this, even today, I can't wait to hear some of your health uh, care uh, shows that uh, are on americaswebradio.com because Aetna just announced they're leaving 500 counties, and, they'll, uh, and that's a lot, actually, across the country, and they're only going to be servicing about 200 next year. So we're seeing the... Uh, the, the one of the states. There. Oh, yeah. No, of course. I mean, Georgia's not profitable at all no. uh, with the... With the Obamacare exchanges. So we're seeing exactly what happens when central planners, you know, get mingled in with the market. Now, and that's a good question. Is that negative for me to point that out? Sure. But can I be optimistic and say if we put in patient-centered reforms, like Congressman Tom Price's reforms have been just sit and gather in dust, repealing some of the, the Obamacare mandates, not not claiming victory when all you've done is expand Medicaid by millions of people. You haven't really given people better health care. You've put more people on Medicaid. And I don't think anybody's going to argue that Medicaid really gives the optimal outcomes. I know you, one of your shows with Dr. Elena George covers a lot of that. And I think you have another health care show, don't uh, you? Docs for, docs for Patient Care. Docs uh, for Patient Care. Doctor, doctor's Lounge. And uh, they go into it. And, um, you know, uh, the only way is the only way to improve the medical situation is through capitalism and let it, it, mm-hmm. it will, you know, it's like. You, you've always heard the, or you may not have, but the old saying, a cream rises to the top. Right. Well, it will, and we'll take care of it. Right. But government, get the hell out of our way and let us do it. Yeah, because basically if you uh, take the position of the left that says that health care is a right, 
you were telling the entire healthcare profession that they are basically slaves to government. Government will dictate their wages. Government will dictate the hours that they work. Government will dictate who they see as patients. Government will take over every aspect of healthcare. Now you see people like Robert Wright clamoring for a single payer and complaining that the free market isn't working. The, the problem is people don't know the cost of healthcare. They know how much their insurance will pay. They may know what their monthly insurance premium is, but they don't know how much it would cost if to just get their tonsils taken out. Let's get let's get rid of let's get rid of insurance companies. How much would if my son, you know, my invisible son? I don't have a son yet, but let's say my son wants his tonsils taken out, or I want him taken out, his tonsils taken out because he gets uh, sore throats all the time. How much does that cost? I have no idea how much that would cost. I would have to find somebody that would be willing to not worry about insurance. Say, okay, Greg, that's an eight hundred dollar surgery plus two hundred and fifty for anesthesia. You he doesn't need an anesthesia. We'll do it for eight hundred. You can do that. By Probably wouldn't have a happy a, son, would I? You can do that by going to uh, the Oklahoma Surgery Center, uh, and that's exactly what they do. They take no insurance. They take cash, cash, or cash. <laughs> they tell you exactly what it's got. And, and we've had some very good guests on that do uh, offshore medicine. Uh, tourist medicine is what they call it. And um, that's very affordable yep. and very good. There's yeah, nothing wrong with it. And I've seen a lot of medical uh, tourism to other countries you know, start if, to rise. Yeah, if you have an insurance policy and you call your doctor and you ask what's this going to cost and will you put it in writing, they'll laugh you out of the out of the room because they don't know what the ins- you know. I'm I'm going to have a procedure Monday that you know, it would have the the guy does them day in and day out. So you should think that he would be able to or his office would be able to say well. It costs X amount of money, and that's what we right. charge. Right. But well, when you, when you add in insurance, then it's well, we don't know how much your insurance is going to pay on it. So you check with your insurance. They say we'll pay the whole thing, but you get the bill back, and they paid eighty percent of it, right. maybe, or maybe they paid fifty. Yeah. Because they come up with this deal. Well, it wasn't the normal. Right. They had to. Yeah. Well, my wife had her wisdom teeth out, and the reason I was joking about the tonsils not having anesthesia is she got her wisdom teeth out, and her dental insurance should have covered 95% of it. That's what, that's what she pays for every month. Uh, we got a bill for $300 after it was all said and done for anesthesia, and I raised holy hell with the insurance company. They said, well, anesthesia isn't part of wisdom teeth. I said, you've got to be, and I used a euphemism for kidding me. And uh, sure enough, they uh, they don't cover anesthesia. So it was still it was a fifteen hundred dollar procedure. We spent four or five hundred. Still got a deal out of it, but having to fight that was a little awkward. We'll be back in a couple minutes. You're listening to Greg's List on America's Web Radio dot com. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. 
Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Joining us now in studio, our friend Alan Buckley, an attorney and also the uh, the libertarian candidate for U.S. Senate uh, running in Georgia. Um, and uh, we're going to talk to him a little bit about uh, his uh, his race and what uh, what his chances are of, of making an impact on the on the outcome, and also a little bit of philosophy because I think we've seen in this election cycle. No, like more than any other, that there's not much difference between what Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are saying, and uh, I think that's very problematic to not have a difference between the two-party system, and that's why perhaps the third and fourth parties that we've talked about are seeing such a rise in popularity. Anyway, Alan, welcome to Greg's. How are you doing today? All right, Greg. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Well, so you've been uh, you've been on the ballot for you were on the ballot initially. You'll be on the ballot in November. How long have, has your campaign been going on? Well, this campaign I actually announced on October seventh, which was my birthday last year, that I was running after getting my wife's approval. Uh, That's always important. Uh, yeah, I uh, I've run twice before in two thousand four and two thousand eight, and uh, I'm not. Um, I'm not someone who just wants to run for office. I thought I'd be done in 2008, but uh, what really drives me are the financial issues that uh, our country really has financial cancer, and neither major party is doing anything about it. And so the only solution is you've got to get some smaller government, government financially responsible alternative. Johnny Isaacson is not that in this particular race, and uh, Jim Barksdale, the Democrat, of course, is not going to be that. All he's trying to claim that he would be more financially responsible than Johnny, which wouldn't be that difficult to do. I I regularly um, post on Facebook and point out that Johnny's conservative review score is a 32. That's a solid F. Um, and his the Heritage Foundation also does a, a poll based on how people vote, and maybe mm-hmm. an F as well, a 51. So he's been dropping since last fall. Last fall, I started to track his conservative review score. And that's all a conservative review review does is rate people based on their voting record, mm-hmm. how whether they vote conservatively or liberally. And Johnny's got more than a two-to-one ratio of liberal votes to conservative votes. That's how he gets his 32. And so, you know, consequently, you got a lot of Democrats now backing Johnny because he's essentially a Democrat. There's, you know, kind of like the major race that you were just talking about, the presidential mm-hmm. race. You know, I think a lot of Democrats just view Johnny as, as a Democrat. Uh, Roy Barnes said, I think uh, if all if all uh, 
Republicans were like Johnny, I'd be a Republican. Well, Johnny's just like a Democrat. And uh, so we got two Democrats and me, and I'm basically for you know, reducing reasonably, not radically, but reasonably reducing the, sc- the size and scope of the federal government, mm-hmm. <laughs> getting it down to what it should be so it'll last indefinitely. I think we need to – I'm an attorney and a CPA, so I follow the finances of the federal government. Right. And, uh, we do, there's no reason not to be balancing budgets every year. We're not in a, in a recession or worse. But we've gotten this point now where, um, you know, running 3 to 4% of GDP deficits in non-recession years is considered good because we run 10% of GDP deficits in recession years. Right. But, you know, when your economy is growing at 1% to 2% a year, eventually this just blows up. And yeah. It's, I was about to say, the the problem is when even the, the rate has, uh, in theory, dropped, if you believe all the, the numbers that come out of D.C., which, again, are at least our numbers are probably more accurate than the Chinese numbers. I'll right, say that. Right. But, uh, you know, when you're, sti- when you're at a $19 trillion deficit, and your economy is 15 to 16 trillion you're now at that point where any kind of any increase that's a, say, a percentage higher than what you're increasing your productivity you're losing ground yeah. so we can't we can never i don't think anybody has been serious about actually paying off the debt there's a lot of talk about a balanced budget amendment where do you stand on something like that well i mean anything that results in a balanced budget i'm i'm all for um you know, I needed to see the specifics of a bill, but I, right. know, unfortunately, we we shouldn't need to do that. As I said, I'm a CPA as well as an attorney. In the last two and a half years, I've been writing a lengthy article about it's about thirty some pages long about ways to greatly simplify the tax system and force balanced budgets by using an algebraic equation tax system where. You know, a lot of people have taken eighth, ninth grade algebra where you solve for X. Mm-hmm. Well, X is whatever is necessary to balance the budget. So if spending goes up, the rate goes up. Spending goes down, the rate goes down. And you make everybody pay some tax by having a consumption tax. Um, and then you basically get rid of the income tax altogether. Mm-hmm. The corporate income tax, the individual income tax, which the corporate income tax is the really complex animal you know, in in the um, in the tax system, uh, followed by the individual income tax. But I basically say, you know, um, let's simplify, expand the FICA tax slightly, and the self-employment tax, which most empo- employees pay that, and have that have an X rate, and then the self-employment tax be two X, and the consumption tax rate be X. And hey, let's just whatever is necessary to balance the budget. Everybody pays some. If go- if government grows, everybody pays more. If government shrinks, everybody pays mm-hmm. less. But you force the D.C. politicians to do what state and local government government politicians have to do, and that is make the numbers work. Operate so, with what you have. Basically. Right, right. And, you know, to your point of a minute ago, um, you know, we're actually getting closer to $20 trillion of debt, and um, the Fed actually, by, by statute, has three statutory requirements. They're supposed to produce stable prices, um, you know, Maximum employment, which they generally consider five percent or yeah, less unemployment. unemployment yeah. But there's a third prong that no one ever talks about, and that is moderate long-term interest rates. And we haven't had moderate long-term interest rates in years. And when the Fed is is setting its rate at zero or 0.25, mm-hmm. what happens is all the interest rates start coming down. And what what that means is like pension plans and whether you like them or not, insurance companies, their whole their annuities get yeah. screwed up. Mm-hmm. It, and, and just long-term investors who want to be in bonds because, you know, you know, a bond that you know, used to pay 
might not have had any sort of premium or discount because it was a market you know based rate. Right well, now it's. It's, uh, the price has gone way up. way up. The yield right. is way down, right. which means bo- you can actually lose a lot of money in bonds, which is kind of a rare. Well, and it's, it, it's a scary uh, thing. Part of what I do is like pension work. And if interest rates were to get back to normal, mm-hmm. uh, just for example, at $20 trillion of debt, if you multiply $20 trillion by 0.05, which is sort of a historical norm, mm-hmm. T-bill rate, short, yep. short or long. And long's typically a little longer, a little higher than that. Yeah. The 30-year yeah, long bond and the 10-year yeah. treasury. So. Yeah, but, but you'd get a trillion dollars yep. of interest expense. Okay, mm-hmm. Last year, 2015, the total tax revenue was th- a little over $3 trillion. So It was $3.24 trillion. So if you end up paying, you know, if you divide one by f- 3.24. It's about 32%. Yeah, 31, 32. I mean, we'd have we'd have anarchy. We'd have people, you know, rioting. In my opinion, because mm-hmm. no one's going to want to know that thirty-one percent of their taxes are going to get. <laughs> well, the pr- the problem is, is what they do is they'd say, "Well, we're going to have to cut this. Uh, you know, we're going to have to cut the third rail of Republicans, which is defense spending." Mm-hmm. So the Republicans don't want to do that ever. Right. Uh, the Democrats don't want to cut any of the social programs uh, like Social Security or Medicare, or even make tweaks to them. So well, even the Republicans don't want to do that. Though I mean, we've gotten to the point where seventy percent of spending is entitlements. Right. And, you know, I'll do these Facebook blogs and people say, well, I earned that. Well, I earned this and mm-hmm. that. Well, the reality is, if you look on my website, I've got an article there by the... What's the website? Uh, Buckley for Senate. Buckley, B-U-C-K-L-E-Y, F-O-R, Senate.com. i got a nice article under the entitlement section, which is under problems and solutions, um, by the Urban Institute, which is typically... Kind a, of a left-leaning kind of a organization. Kind of a left-leaning um, organization. They basically say... Except for the higher er- earners, everybody has profited heavily from both Medicare and Social oh, Security, yeah. no matter when you were born. So all these people saying, I earned this and I earned mm-hmm. that. No, you didn't. The problem is they, they were set up when people's lifespans were 62 years old. Right. And now, thanks to modern medicine, um, better eating, and better uh, health care at the end of life, people are living into their 80s and 90s. And they're taking, med- well, especially Medicare, they're taking a they're, the biggest expenditures for Medicare in the last two years of life. Right. Uh, for Social Security, the uh, the argument there is, yeah, you put in for a long time. Your employer also put in. But now you're getting benefits for 30 years when they didn't think you'd be getting them for more than 10 when they put right. this in, right? Right. Well, the thing is, you know, young people, though, I've, I've, I've got a new video that's going to come out soon, really get the shaft from Social Security. Okay, why is that? Now, they are going to live a little longer based on, you know. The actuarial uh, tables. Actuar- actuarial tables. Yeah. But... If you look at a guy who was born in 1930, okay, uh, the Social Security tax rate has gradually gone up. It started at 1% on employer and employee, and it's been 6.2% on employer and, empl- and employee. Which is 12.4% if you're uh, self-employed. Right, right, right. Since, since 1990. Well, the guy born in 1930, I did an analysis, paid an average rate of about 8.5% over his whole working career. So the person born in, you know, who started working in 1990 or later, is going to pay an average rate of twelve point four. Mm-hmm. So that's about a fifty percent higher tax rate. Now the young person is expected to live a little longer, but not that much longer. Not not that much longer. Not that, not fifty percent uh, uh, longer. That's going to offset that huge <laughs> tax. So the young people get the shaft. And you know, as I pointed out earlier, you know, all these government agencies are saying this our system is going to collapse on its current current path. So I point out to these young people: not only are you going to be paying more into these programs. But if the system collapses, you know, 10, 15, 20 years mm-hmm. from now, there won't be anything. There won't anywhere. be anything. So you'll have gone through this system of paying 
you know, uh, FICA taxes and, and income taxes mm-hmm. if you make enough money, and, and you'll get nothing because uh, – let me just – here's a great quote from the Government Accountability Office. That's the GAO. That's yep. the, the auditor of the federal government. In 2007, January, they said uh, GAO's current long-term simulations continue to show ever larger deficits resulting in a federal debt burden – that ultimately spirals out of control. And obviously I have that line mm-hmm. memorized because I use it a lot. But that's a pretty strong line. Well, since, yeah. since that statement was made, our federal debt has, has more than doubled. Right. I mean, well more than doubled. And we're anticipated to see another $10 trillion over the next decade. Right. Well, yeah, because if you look at Obama's track record, um, you know, he took over in 2008, 2009. The federal deficit was a, was about 9 or $10 trillion. He has doubled it. And uh, we're going to talk about that, some solutions. And I read this amazing article the other day that has changed my thinking a little bit. And I want to get your opinion of it. As a CPA, you're one of the first CPAs I've ever heard that wants to simplify the tax code. <laughs> I, call, I think they call that job security in your industry, but... Uh, we're going to go ahead and take our uh, break here. We'll be back in a couple minutes. We're with Alan Buckley running for U.S. Senate in the state of Georgia. See you in a minute. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors. And should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's This Live, the home of series journalism. We're here chatting with Alan Buckley, the uh, libertarian candidate for U.S. Senate in the state of Georgia. He's a CPA and an attorney. So a um, lot of uh, acronyms by his name, I'm sure, when you uh, look him up. We were talking a little bit about the, the complicated tax code. Uh, and I read an article the other day. We're talking about entitlement reform. I do understand the argument that people say Social Security is not an entitlement. I paid into it. The problem, though, 
is what the average person pays into it. They're going to take out a lot more if they live what the actuarial tables say they're going to live. The other problem is if they had been able to take a portion of that money and invest it themselves, it would be far more than their Social Security benefit. If you were able to just say, all right, we're going to take 7% of your money, mandatory savings account, Alan, but we're going to put it in... um, you know, uh, some kind of IRA, you can't touch it. It can only go to, you know, U.S. Treasury bonds or something, getting at least 2 to 3% a year. Because right now your Social Security, that doesn't get, earn any interest. But it, it doesn't? Well, you know, here's the thing is I, I got The this. benefits in theory could go up, and the longer you wait, the, the more they are. If you wait till 70, you're going to get more than if you take it at 67. Well, here, here's, yeah, it, that that all depends on how long you live, but... <laughs> um, you know, nobody can tell. But some people just say, "Hey, I've had no male in my family to live beyond 70. So, so I'm going to take it at 62. Yeah, right? Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> but uh, the GAO, or excuse me, the Social Security Administration did a study a number of years ago, and they looked at the implicit return on Social Security rate of return. And for that guy born in 1930, he got about five percent. So okay. he's still alive. He's 86. He's getting. He's earned five percent over his life. Okay. The person born in 1990 is going to get about one percent, assuming the system survives mm-hmm. and they get all their benefits. Now, to your point, um, you know, a lot of pension plans have averaged roughly eight eight percent over the last 30 years. So. If that person had said, you know, I don't want to contribute to Social Security, I want to do my own thing, and got the same return as a lot of these pension plans mm-hmm. that have been in stocks and bonds, you know, stocks and long-term bonds heavily, they would have come out much ahead of where they are now. Right. Now, let me. here's another point people need to realize. You know, Social Security ran surpluses up until a few years ago. And right now in the trust fund, there's roughly $2 trillion of IOUs, T-bills, IOUs from the federal government, which are basically just one hand telling the other, hey, I owe you this, okay? Um, <laughs> and, you know, you'll, you'll hear these people say, oh, but they're T-bills, so they're really valuable. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, if you had a company that um, did financial statements and one owed the other, uh, you know, uh, uh, Yeah, like a, a subsidiary basically it, owed when, $2 trillion to right, the other. Right, yeah. right, when you did your consolidated financial statements, you would wipe out that intercompany mm-hmm. receivable. So that, That's a, not financially solvent. It, it, yeah, <laughs> it's not. So, you know, but here's the thing is is if if those monies, we, we, in 1983, they jacked the rate up um, – Slowly to to six point two percent, and and the, so the fund started running surpluses starting in the nineteen eighties until just a few years ago. Well, if you had taken roughly two trillion dollars of surplus and and invested those monies and earned eight percent, like the pension plans, there'd be four trillion dollars roughly sitting in the Social Security trust fund, re- real money that you could that the, that the Social Security trustees could sell and pay, and Social Security wouldn't have problems mm-hmm. for. Many, many years. It would eventually still have problems, but we'd be so much better off mm-hmm. if it was really run like a trust fund. They, they, you hear this trust fund. Well, that's just a bunch of garbage because <laughs> – but I'll tell you that in the private sector, if an employer ever did that and just you know put IOUs in its pension plan, that's completely illegal. That's a prohibited <laughs> transaction. There's all sorts of penalties. I think that's what they tried in Detroit, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's all completely illegal. So, you know, there's, there's two yeah. sets of rules. One of course. F- one well, for the government yeah. and one for uh, the private Here's sector. the article that I read, and – I think it's it's and I think it it matches up to what we were just talking about. The the premise of the article was that it's impossible for social security to run out of money. And the reason why is the argument was that it is a present direct transfer of money 
from me to, let's say, my parents. The, the argument was that it, the, the, the benefit could go down or there could be less money available uh, if changes aren't made, but that it really couldn't run out of money because it was basically just taking from the people working now and giving to people on Social Security. What do you think about that? That's true. The system is a pay-go system. And what will what, happen now is the, as these T-bills are slowly paid off, what's going to happen is you're going to go from $2 trillion down to zero between now and roughly 2034. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, again, the federal government has to come up with the money to pay these T-bills, which it just runs huge deficits. So that's questionable in, its, in itself. But what would happen is when you got to roughly 2034, there would be a roughly 21% drop in benefits because it is, it's a pay-go system. Those people that are working, money comes out of their paychecks. Self-employed people pay it you know, to the government. And then it goes into the Social Security pool, and then, and then it goes a directly small, out. Small right? amount of money goes off the top for administration, the people who run it, and then it goes directly out to beneficiaries. So it's a pay-go system. Okay. So when the system runs out of pay, it'll drop. It would drop by roughly twenty-one percent wow. in, in twenty thirty-four, and then it would gradually get down to about seventy-five percent of what's current projected. So let's say you're projected to receive. In, in, in you know twenty forty, you were supposed to get two thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. On the current pace, you might get fifteen hundred dollars okay. a month. So, you know, it's never going to go completely bust. But so, the question I mean, is, isn't that a way that it would would fix itself? Well, that's a pos- that's a possible solution. Is just to say, hey, look, and and forget about these T bills, and just start mm-hmm. saying, hey, whatever comes in now goes out. Start doing that mm-hmm. now. Yeah, because right now it's about ninety seven to ninety nine percent of what of what uh, comes in uh, would. If, if you take everything that comes in, it would cover the upper 90% okay. of what goes out. And you'd gradually work your way down mm-hmm. to 79%, and then it would gradually work further down to 75 Right, which in theory means that you're you're paying a higher, much higher tax rate, I guess, would be well, the way that it's kind of paying for it, right? You're getting a, a lesser return if you want to look at it that way. I mean, um, it depends. You can look at it however you want. But the, the bottom line is the young people are getting the sham. Yes. And they need to realize – I mean, I propose solutions to these problems, okay? And basically what I say – First of all, I, I tackle all entitlements on my website. Uh, you don't see Johnny Isaacson doing that. You don't see Jim Barksdale doing that. Um, and you won't. Um, so, and, you know, I actually co-wrote a book a couple of years ago with a guy named Jonathan Godby who's got a Ph.D. in finance, professor at Georgia State. It was called Why Work? How the Federal Entitlements and Tax Systems Equalize Income and Wealth. And we show where a family of four who gets – who makes $29,000 a year mm-hmm. and gets all the federal entitlements and tax credits, makes more in terms of in terms of dollars they get from their work, entitlements, tax benefits, than, somebody, than that same family of four making $48,000 a year or $49,000. It's not until they make more than fifty that they actually come out better than they were making 29000 So that's gotcha. That's insane. So I propose a system to basically re- reasonably reduce all of those entitlements so as you as you earn more, your benefits, your standard of living mm-hmm. only goes up. And for Social Security, I say we gradually take the normal retirement age over six years from 67 to 70, do the same thing for Medicare over 10 years, take it from 65 to 70, have a different cost of living adjustment for Social Security, which more tracks seniors' Lifestyles, but then have this tax system that pays for it all, mm-hmm. um, and also me is means testing part of it. Um, no, no, it's not. Let me not. let me tell you why. Except for people who are very wealthy right now, because those people who are getting paid right now, because they are going to get a higher return on investment, mm-hmm. I would I would freeze their benefits so they don't get any more if they don't need it. Um, but I'm against means testing. Let me tell you why. Because 
the higher income people basically pay a lot more into the system while they're working than lower income people. Of course. And, and middle income people, a lot more. And the Social Security benefit structure is highly progressive. Uh, the lower your income, the higher it is that your your benefit is going to be compared to your But aunt. they do cap it at 110,000 was it 118,000 okay. 118,5 yeah. never argue with the CPA it's, it's been that way the last <laughs> the last couple of years and uh, it, uh um but the 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 point is though that the the benefit formula under social security is highly progressive so um you know basically uh, the I don't remember the exact number but the first roughly uh $8,000 a year Maybe uh, I'm trying to get the exact figures. Anyways, it's a highly progressive system such that the first um, uh, amount of earnings, you, what you do is you take people's earnings over their over their uh, the years that they worked, and mm-hmm. then you grow it for uh, inflation and interest, and then you take an average, and then you basically, based on that, you compute a benefit. But the, But the first... Uh, I think it's roughly eight hundred dollars a month. I'm starting to get fuzzy now. Is 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 it is it a very high rate? It's okay, thirty two percent. Then the next roughly three thousand dollars goes down to fifteen percent. Um, actually, the, the first rate is actually much higher than that. It's okay, like, uh, uh, you know. But anyways, you go. I think it's like it's like I think it's ninety, and then it drops to thirty two, then it drops to fifteen. And there's a proposal out there, and, and you get to the fifteen percent level only when somebody has an average income of roughly. You know, forty-five to fifty thousand a year. So your really high earners are going to get a really low return, right? Relative to somebody who's a low earner from Social Security. Because yeah. when I gave you that one percent and yeah. that five percent, those were average returns. The higher up people are going to come out much lower than the lower income people, right? Well, and that's one of the uh, the issues that we look at is you know Hillary Clinton right now is running commercials talking about soaking the one percent even more right. and charging an exit tax for um, to corporations that try to leave. That sounds a lot like Donald Trump's um, America First charge potentially charging tariffs uh, platform as well. So I think that. And that's kind of the issue that I'm having with this current election is there is not that much difference yeah. between the uh, some of the economic plans anyways. Now, certainly there uh, um, uh, some of the policies about immigration and some of those things seem to be uh, a little different. Uh, we you know, we it's hard to uh, filter through everything that they both say and see which part of it they actually believe in and which part of it is just the uh, red meat to the base. Right. But, uh, you know, the, the, the free trade is uh, certainly a liberty. Libertarian uh, concept. Milton Friedman. I'm a big acolyte of uh, his work, and and, and and of course Mr. Hayek and uh, and Ayn Rand, and those all typically, you know, they're libertarian philosophies at least. But I think they've manifested as being uh, productive in the real world. Yeah, I'm I'm a free trader. The only the only place I'm against it is mm-hmm. when you've got things like currency manipulation, where it's blatantly obvious, uh, and there you can adjust. You need there need to be there needs to be some sort of um, simple counteraction against the country that's committing the currency manipulation mm-hmm. to make the prices where they would be without the mani- manipulation. So, uh, you know, I, I generally am, am big into libertarian ideas. Um, one, I, I, I don't agree with 100%, and this is a, a Georgia thing, this is, is, is amnesty for illegal uh, immigrants. And I, I do call them illegal Im- immigrants. I don't call them undocumented workers. Mm-hmm. So you know where I come from on the issue. But <laughs> uh, people in Georgia in the Libertarian Party, it's, it, there's a big split. Some are, you know, if you're illegal, you're not going to get amnesty. And others are, well, you know, bringing as many people as possible. I, right. I'm, 
against Amnesty, and that's that's a place where I'm very different mm-hmm. from Johnny Isaacson and Jim Barksdale. Um, I do think we should let more people in because the, the numbers of people we let in have been frozen yeah. for decades. Yeah. I mean, for decades. I and agree, and I think we need to let the people in here that we've educated. Let's go yeah, ahead and take. I, our, I agree. 100%. Let's go ahead and take our final break, but then we're going to start talking a little bit about libertarian issues and where Mr. Buckley thinks that they differ with uh, Democrats and Republicans, and see if we do have some common ground as well. We'll be back in a couple minutes uh, with Alan Buckley. You're listening to Greg's List. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's WebRadio.com. Having a, a nice chat today with Alan Buckley, U.S. Senate candidate uh, from the state of Georgia. He's a CPA and an attorney. And uh, we're uh, doing a little bit of uh, philosophical debate right now, talking a little bit about um, the libertarians typically like to believe in open borders. They, I don't want to cast them all in that light, but, uh, but they, and they're also the first to say we can't have a robust welfare system and open borders. Right. So I think they sometimes get misnomered as that. I um, I do think, and, and we, we, we briefly touched on this before the break, and if you do hear loud thunder in the background, go hug your dog, because I'm sure they're scared <laughs> like hell. And I'm a little scared, too. I may jump onto us. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm cool with thunder. It's lightning that's the scary stuff. Uh, talking about um, the economic impact, I think Donald Trump's got into a lot of trouble because he's personalized this illegal immigration debate calling them murderers and rapists I like to point out the fact that there is an economic cost to illegal immigration 
And if if we ask people, are you willing to pay more taxes or have less teachers in schools to to pay for illegal immigration, is the answer yes or no? I would wager that most people would say no. Yeah. And when we make the argument about immigration or almost any issue about economics and not on personality tests, I think that's where a republicanian or libertarian or, or free market philosophy can really win. Yeah, you know, I, I like I said, I'm against amnesty. The people who are here, you know, if you let them all in, you're going to have the next batch follow. That's what happened back in the 80s. 86, yeah. Yeah, but, but we need to let in more people than we're letting in now. I mean, we've had those, the numbers frozen. Uh, family, the family figure has been at 480,000 for decades. The uh, business figure has been at 140,000 for decades. And those are like the HB1 visas, stuff like that? Or? Uh, yeah, basically, you know, your, all your business people fall into a group, and then you've got the family migration. But we don't have any special rules for people who come here and you know graduate from the University of Georgia or Tech or whatever and excel and want to stay here and uh, you know if they've been here for 4 years plus uh you know, presumably they were vetted before they got mm-hmm. in and, and they and they excelled in school why not add them to so you know to our uh, economy and our and to uh, so I basically have my website that right. if people that fall in that group we should let in a significant number at least fifty thousand a year because we are seeing a huge uh, in, increase in volume in uh, foreigners especially uh, from Asia coming and, and getting educations here some right. of them are going to Emory right. UGA Georgia Tech and they're paying full tuition they are yeah, there's <laughs> adding smart people to the population in general is a good thing as long as the, as long <laughs> yeah. as the numbers are reasonable right you know what I mean. So, but, you know, like I said, libertarians differ on that. And, uh, you know, I think Gary Johnson is very much open borders, which, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm for having a reasonable immigration policy, letting more people in. But I'm not for amnesty because we'll get batch number three if we do it again. Right. So, and, but, there, and there's an economic cost to batch number three. And that's, sure. that's uh, it, it's, it, it taxes, it taxes yeah. the infrastructure. It taxes the public education system. And, you know, right now the big lie that Democrats and Republicans are both pushing is Democrats say if we just tax the evil rich a little bit more, everything will be free for everyone else. Yeah. And Republicans say if we lower taxes on everybody now, that we can keep the same level of government. And then that, that's untrue that's, as well. That's not true. And I, mean, I, th- it, I think it's, but I think it's true that that's the policies yeah, of the party. Yeah, no, no doubt. See, in 2001 and 2003, Republicans reduced the taxes. They cut taxes, which is fine, okay? They made the tax system more complicated, but tax cuts are great if they're coupled with spending cuts. But, w- but what did they do instead? They, they increased, spending. increased spending dramatically. <laughs> we had the Warner Act. No child left behind. No child left behind. We had Medicare expansion. So we saw average spending from 2001 to 2006. The Republicans controlled the federal government completely. Yep. Congress, presidency. And we saw 6.8% average increases in spending. That's, mm. that's, that's absurd. That's a lot more. See, in my race, the Democrat, Jim Barksdale, is going to try to argue, well, since Obama's been in there, yeah, we've had a lot of spending, but it's been relatively flat, which is true. Since about 2010, the federal spending numbers have not gone up a lot. Whereas if you look back to 2001 to 2006, you see the numbers going up dramatically each year. So, you know, revenue came down in 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, while spending's going out through the roof. Well, then you get debt. Well, and the truth meter at the AJC last week did a story. I, I basically said Johnny's voted for over $7 trillion in debt. And so they did a truthometer article on that, and Johnny tried to defend himself, saying, "Yeah, I voted for it, but I really didn't have a choice." Well, that was a bunch of hoopla because he voted for all these things that were going to create the need for spending and then reduce taxes. So you're, the the end 
result is going to be debt, and that's what we got. Now we're up to you know close to twenty trillion. Right. So these Republicans, I hate to say it, but they really need to be thrown out of office. I mean, the Democrats are basically big government, big regulation, big taxation, like they've always been. The Rep- people are are still relying on the Republicans to get them uh, a smaller government that works, and they've got to give up on that. And what I really hope happens after this election is the Republican Party splits in half. Half of them go Democrat, like Johnny is basically a Democrat. That's why a number of Democrats are supporting him. My own congressman, David Scott, said he's going to vote for Johnny over the Democrat. It's because he's a Democrat. So let let them go with the Democrats and let the other half who want to see reasonably smaller government, who want to see the numbers work, who who want reasonable policies as far as entitlements and immigration, join the Libertarians. I don't care what the right. name is. Call it the Patriot Party. Call it whatever you want. <laughs> but we need something to counteract the, the Democrats and the big government Republicans. And most Republicans are big government yeah. Republicans. So you're not an anarcho-capitalist. No. No. Far from <laughs> it. I, I want to see the system work, but we've got to reasonably reduce spending. Let me give you an example. Um, I'm going to go back to one thing on illegal immigration real quick. Okay. My, my wife and I had a friend who was a teacher. She moved, but she was a teacher in Cobb County. She said, we... We had such a problem. We we couldn't teach the regular kids because we had all these kids coming in who were illegal. We mm-hmm. were trying to teach them English at the same time. That's got to stop. I mean, that's just not right, right for the people who live here. And that's I mean, what I was talking about. There's an economic cost. Yes, and I've got a great article on my website from the Wall Street Journal about that. But here's another place where we can save some money. Okay, I want to always have the strongest military in the world by far. And we do now. We have for many, many years. But... We have about 800 foreign military bases, 800. We've got over 110 in Italy alone. I, I show people a map when I give speeches of, 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 of Italy with all these military bases, and, and they're like, it just blows them away. The rest of the world combined has less than 60 foreign bases. Mm-hmm. You know, some studies show 30. We, we came up with the highest number possible being 60, but we have 800 roughly. No. That's insane. We don't. We do not no. need to have eight hundred four. And some could argue that it's because of the uh, the robust U.S. presence. That's what ena- has enabled these social democracies in Europe to offer health care for all. Sure. And because they haven't had to, to that's, defend themselves. That's exactly so. right. And you know, we a lot of these places we go in there and we pay them to lease space. I had a buddy who was in the army. He's about my age, but this was back you know late seventies, early eighties, and he was stationed in Germany. And he said, you know, when, whenever these farmers needed some money, they'd be driving down the road in a tank, and the farmer would just point at his fence. And that was the sign, go go mangle my fence, because then the U.S. government would pay him, to, you know, to uh, reimburse him. <laughs> That's, for now, that is the broken window f- fallacy, if I've ever heard it. Let's go break <laughs> stuff so we can create uh, economics. Yeah, and, and the U.S. government <laughs> is paying for these bases they, overseas and you know uh, Mr. Maynard Keynes would be very proud of that uh, philosophy to yeah. break stuff in other countries in order to stimulate their own economy it's, it's kind of humorous <laughs> but if, if it weren't the fact for the fact that we were really paying for it but the bottom line is our system doesn't work on a long term basis and we're just we're basically going down a river at night and there's a waterfall up ahead okay we don't know where the waterfall is but if we go over the edge we're done and let me tell you why 2008 you know, we had the big financial crisis, but mm-hmm. we only had uh, total debt back then was not really high as, as a percentage of GDP. No, it was. I think it was at seventy or eighty percent. Now think, we're over a hundred percent. We're about one hundred and five, one hundred and six. Yeah. If anything like that happens hereafter, under certain sets of circumstances, you could see 
a, a stock market collapse because what what could happen mm-hmm. is you got a lot of seniors and every day we get more and more baby boomers going into retirement. Right. They're heavily invested because you have to fu- you have to start taking retirement at seventy and a half, right? Well, otherwise you have to pay. If you have to take a certain amount out of your IRA, you have to start we- or, weaning or your 401k. it down. Okay. Yeah, yeah. At, at age seventy and a half, under certain tables that again are very complicated. Otherwise, you have to pay a tax penalty. So. Um, but you know you got all these people, and like I said, as we talked about, bond returns are really low now. Yep. So people are, even a lot of these pension plans are moving more heavily into stocks. Well, if everybody's heavily invested in stocks, and something very negative happens to the market, you could have a situation where you got a lot of seniors. Think five, ten years from now, we got all these seniors, and they're all in mutual funds and whatnot, and something bad happens. Um, you know, I'm reading a book now called Liberty Lost, where they you know they say the the Chinese decide to dump all their dollars, and they convince the Russians mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, some people. Like Tom Clancy book, really, right? <laughs> it's not Tom Clancy. No, I know it's a different guy, but um, is but, it a fi- is it a fiction? Or yeah, it's a fiction, okay. but, but it's a triatize, and yeah, come, okay. but, but it's something that could happen. Yeah, right. The point is, you know, we could get in a situation where the I, I do believe the Chinese want to take over eventually in terms of being the economic superiority, economic superiority, military superiority. I really think they want to do that now. What they're willing to do to do that, you know, whether they're going to shoot themselves in the foot or or not, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen. The good news but, for them is they they just have too many people. They'll they'll they will never be able to take care of their population. But I do I do look at them as a threat. So yeah, we got my, about my, one minute, Alex. Okay, my, my point is, we're at a point now with all this debt where we should never be. We right. should never be in a point where something really bad could happen and the stock market collapses yep. and then people stop spending and the market goes down further. Then they contract further should, on their spending. We should it, it never go, be vulnerable to we should economic terrorism. Be, exactly. We should always have our financial house in order. It's not. It's not going to be that way under either of the two major parties. So you got to start putting in office people like me who understand the problems and are willing to go up there and fight. And also, Georgia gets thirty seventh. Is thirty seventh in our return on income tax dollars we send to DC. Mm-hmm. South Carolina is first. They get about eight dollars back for every dollar they send. We get about a dollar back. We need to do better in that respect. So Johnny, Johnny, and the other people up there are not getting it done for us. And I think we need to make a, a change. I'm willing to go up there and fight to make sure we get our fair share of federal spending. But we've got to re- reduce federal spending reasonably, but not, not radically. All right. Well, Alan Buckley, candidate for U.S. Senate in Georgia from the Libertarian Party, enjoyed the discussion today. Like I said, we were going to talk about uh, economic philosophies and uh, what uh, what the Libertarian Outlook Party for the uh, for the country is. And uh, I, th- I appreciate your grasp on the issues and your uh, your serious knowledge on them. Appreciate your time today. And thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week on Greg's List. Replays of this show will be on tonight at 6 p.m. Thanks so much. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.